Welcome everyone to The Intersection, the latest episode in a series on the IQT podcast where we discuss topics relating to the intersection of technology and national security. I'm very excited about today's guest, Dr. Scott Shu, a senior advisor and lead fusion coordinator in the office of the Undersecretary for Science and Innovation at the U.S. Department of Energy, or DOE as it's sometimes referred to. He is concluding his time as the program director of, at DOE's Advanced Research Projects Agency for Energy, where he led a portfolio of fusion energy R&D programs. His most recent paper was published in June of 2022 and co-authored with Sam Wurzel in AIP's Physics of Plasmas. The title of the paper was Progress Towards Fusion Energy Breakeven and Gain as Measured Against the Lawson Criterion. And we're going to talk about fusion today, which I think is possibly one of the most important topics out there. Uh, uh, in, in our society and at the intersection of technology and national security. So we're really lucky to have uh, uh, Dr. Shu join us here today. So Scott, welcome. Uh, and uh, just uh, why don't you start, if you don't mind, by telling us you know, any more about your background that I didn't uh, uh, cover that you think would be pertinent. And in particular, our, I think our, our, our listeners sometimes like to uh, understand how you end up where you are today. So you know, tell us maybe a little bit about uh, one or two decisions in terms of career choices that you made that sort of led you to where you are today. Sure. Thank you, Steve, and to Incutel for uh, inviting me here. I uh, just wanted to say, too, that I've uh, spoken to uh, several of Incutel's uh, staff, you know, about fusion. Uh, so no stranger to Incutel. Um, well, so for myself, I became interested in energy and fusion uh, quite early on, uh, even in early high school or possibly even earlier, you know, doing school reports and, and the like. Um, I studied plasma physics and fusion science starting in college and, and in graduate school uh, where I focused on fusion. Um, I was an experimental plasma and fusion researcher for around 20 years before coming to Washington, D.C., um, and I did spend most of my prior career at Los Alamos National Laboratory. Um, as far as being in my present role, I, you know, I was kind of in the right place at the right time uh, as an ARPA-E program director for its fusion programs. When the present administration decided to take an interest in seeing what could be done in accelerating fusion energy research and development uh, in partnership with the private sector. And so long story short, I was brought in to help plan uh, a White House uh, fusion summit back in March of this year, uh, where I was announced by the Secretary of Energy, uh, uh, Jennifer Granholm, as the DOE lead fusion coordinator. Uh, to help figure out a new U.S. strategy to accelerate fusion R&D. Great. So uh, I think most people understand what nuclear uh, energy is, but I think the distinction between fission and fusion is sometimes uh, 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 not uh, 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 widely understood. So maybe uh, you could start a conversation by just sort of telling our listeners a little bit about uh, fission, which was sort of the I think of it as the first iteration of nuclear uh, uh, power and, and, and why fusion, because I presume you're on team fusion, why fusion is uh, 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 better uh, if we can deliver it. Yeah, well, so I'll just start by explaining, you know, the fusion and fission are both nuclear physics processes. Uh, fission is taking a heavier element like uranium and splitting it, in, in, in which case energy is released. Uh, and fusion is the opposite, taking a light element like hydrogen and combining it into a heavier ele element like helium, where energy is also released. And both release, you know, a very large amount of energy compared to burning, you know, fo chemically burning fossil fuels. 
you know, and as far as, uh, you know, I've, I've actually been shying away uh, from doing these types of comparisons with fusion and fission. The, the truth is we need both, uh, you know, to uh, get to our, I think, our global energy uh, goals. Um, they each have different challenges. I mean, I do think it's true that fusion, uh, if we can bring it to market, uh, will have some uh, easier um, issues to deal with, you know, when it comes to some of the uh, downsides, you know, like uh, nuclear waste, for example. Uh, and that's why people are excited about fusion is that there, it's not that there aren't any risks, but that the risks are hopefully a little bit more manageable. And, and, and you could say, uh, maybe I'll, I'll just say, I will say um, that, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're having sort of a nuclear renaissance uh, uh, here, uh, um, that uh, nuclear energy was obviously a big deal uh, uh, for power and energy in the uh, 70s and 80s. But then people started moving on to other uh, uh, alternatives and a lot of the, as is mentioned in the news uh, today, a lot of the uh, nuclear power plants had end of life dates of sometime around now uh, 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 here in the United States. And uh, all of a sudden with the current events going on uh, with um, uh, uh, climate change, with the current events going on with conflicts in uh, 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 Europe with, between Russia and Ukraine and the impact it's having on uh, uh, energy prices and energy availability there, uh, uh, people have uh, come back around to maybe to appreciate the benefits of nuclear uh, uh, power more than they were a few years ago. And it's brought both fission and fusion, I think, back into uh, uh, the limelight, if you will. Uh, 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 and a key element of what you know our favorite topic is, the intersection of national security and, and technology. Are you surprised at, at, at sort of the, you know, the, the evolution of the last couple of years to uh, 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 nuclear power coming back into vogue, if you will? Or, you know, what are, you, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, no, I'm not surprised. Uh, you know, the, the facts are hard to argue with, right? I mean, nuclear does have a tremendous uh, operating record, you know, in terms of overall safety and reliability capacity factor. Uh, it's a, always on availability, right? I mean, so those are some of its very positive attributes. Um, and I think I'll just go back to saying, and, and these are borne out by, by studies done by scholars, right? I mean, the, the, the more diverse of an energy mix we have, including nuclear, uh, the more secure our grid is and the, and the lower the overall system costs are. So absolutely, I, I think nuclear is incredibly important uh, to be part of our energy mix. Okay. And, and yeah, so, and, the, and the events in Ukraine, of course, uh, you know, really, <laughs> really highlight that. I think no, nothing else needs to be said there. Exactly. I mean, we've, we've talked uh, in past episodes on this podcast about the correlation between energy uh, uh, security and national security, you know, and, and obviously fusion has an important role to play in that. Um, so, you know, I think you mentioned that you started out your academic career focused on, on, on fusion, uh, uh, um, you know, so uh, not to imply that you're uh, uh, anything other than young, but, you know, that, that implies that uh, fusion has been around for a while. So um, uh, uh, tell us what, um, uh you know, given that the concept of nuclear fusion has been around for a while, what have been the uh, obstacles that we need to solve from a, a sort of science and research perspective in order to deliver fusion as a reality? And where do we stand in sort of knocking those things down? Yeah, so, um, yeah, this is a well-trodden ground. And as you said, uh, people have been working on this a long time. Um, 
So scientifically and technically, actually, a recent report by the DOE uh, Fusion Energy Sciences Advisory Committee called Powering the Future laid this out very clearly, right? There's, there's kind of three main uh, science and technical areas that we still have to work on. Uh, first is achieving and sustaining a fusion plasma with adequate energy gain, right? Without that, really, we have nothing. Um, but secondly, devising the needed materials and conceptual solutions to handling and controlling the extreme environment of a fusion plasma, right? It's like over 100 million degrees, uh, way hotter than the center of the sun. And finally, harnessing all that carbon-free fusion energy, including uh, closing the fuel cycle, such as breeding tritium fuel. Uh, I know we haven't had a chance to talk yet about exactly the types of fuel you would use. Uh, but those are the three main uh, technical science and technical areas. Uh, and there's significant R&D remaining to be done in, in all three of those areas. But, you know, beyond the science and technology, there's also myriad challenges such as, you know, public engagement and acceptance, right? And nuclear knows this well. Um, you, you really do need that for, for widespread deployment. Um, achieving uh, an appropriate regulatory and licensing framework that doesn't stifle innovation and deployment. Uh, finding the right entry markets at the right price and cost points, uh, addressing nuclear and cybersecurity uh, challenges, uh, supporting energy justice, and building a, diver a diverse workforce for a new energy industry. So these are things we have to pursue in parallel to bring fusion to commercialization. Yeah, I, I think those are all uh, 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 absolutely great points. Uh, um... So uh, let's come back first uh, uh, to more of the, the science uh, uh, developments that you uh, outlined here. Um, and, and as I said in my introduction, you, you uh, uh, recently published a paper in June uh, uh, around progress towards fusion energy break-even and gain as measured against the Lawson criterion. So tell us first why, uh, what, what is exactly fusion energy break-even uh, 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 mean and, and why is that important and how does the Lawson criterion uh, 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 fit in here. Great, great. One of my favorite topics. So when we say fusion break-even, um, I do want to be clear because this is uh, something that maybe the scientific community hasn't been as clear as it should be. Um, ultimately, what you need is that the fusion produces more energy than the total energy you used, right, for your entire system, meaning the energy you drew from the grid. Uh, to operate your entire system, right? That's what we sometimes call uh, engineering gain, right? It's yeah. it's the it's the gain that actually matters if you can produce energy with it. But because fusion has been uh, in a state of research, people have not have focused mainly on the fuel itself or the plasma, right? And that's something they call scientific gain which is just the energy produced compared to how much energy you delivered to the fuel to heat it or, or to hold it there, right? That, that's the thing the physicists are focused on. So that's the thing that we're kind of on the cusp of right now is, is that scientific gain. Yeah. Um, and the Lawson criterion, uh, so actually, let me take a step back. So getting fusion to occur is relatively straightforward. Uh, we, you know, we've known how to do that for nearly a century. Uh, but doing so with net positive energy has proven to be extremely difficult. Uh, the Lawson criterion, which was first worked out by J.D. Lawson of the UK in the 1950s, uh, it is an elegantly simple mathematical statement of when the energy released from the fusion fuel exceeds all the energy losses from the fuel. 
Um, and basically this turns out to be that the product of the fuel density and the confinement time, which is how long you can hold the fuel or the energy in the fuel, that product must exceed a high threshold, a high, very high threshold at temperatures exceeding 100 million degrees. And so even Lawson uh, in the 1950s recognized that the conditions are rather severe, uh, kind of an understatement. <laughs> um, and so when the Lawson criterion is met, we call that fusion ignition. And in that case, fusion can be self-sustaining. And this actually occurred for the very first time in a lab uh, just last year at the National Ignition Facility at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. And, and so let's bring up my next point, which is, you know, uh, a lot of this research has been done in national labs funded by uh, the U.S. government in some form, and as well as obviously uh, labs outside the United States funded by governments outside the United States. But one of the other things that's changed is in the last several years is we've seen the uh, injection of U.S. venture capital, private capital, uh, into uh, uh, fusion companies uh, 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 with some very smart, very high-profile investors that we'll mention in a second based on the belief that this, uh, that fusion was now ready to be commercialized, uh, if you will. The government does a great job, I think, of funding uh, basic research, but the transition from basic research into the commercialization of that technology be delivered as a product or a service to consumers out in the world sometimes requires private capital uh, and, and, and private companies uh, uh, built uh, to do that. What, what's your observation about um, the state, if you will, of the uh, uh, startup community uh, in fusion and uh, where are they helping? Where does you know the government work still need to be done? And then uh, uh, maybe we'll come back after that to some of the points you made previously around uh, 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 regulation and uh, public acceptance as other things that need to happen here. Yeah. So um, look, I'm I'm personally very excited about the the great growth in private sector activity. I think. I think it's a great signal of, of several things, right? Uh, firstly, I think it has to do with the scientific and technical maturity of the field that, that we did not have even, you know, one or two decades ago. So I think that's maybe the most important thing to recognize is that fusion is justifiably at that inflection point where we should move from pure, a pure science enterprise to you know, certainly more of an applied research activity and, uh, and indeed working toward commercialization. Um, we're not ready to commercialize yet because we still don't have a, uh, you know, a full-blown working system, you know, at, uh, certainly and, and certainly not at the cost that you would need to compete in the energy markets. But, but I think we are at the right place to reconsider our, our entire national strategy, you know, uh, in, in how to accelerate fusion R&D. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think that's the main point, but, but the other thing is the fact that, you know, the, the, now the recognition of getting to global net zero on an urgent time scale. Um, and so there's a significant market pull, uh, for a technology with the traits of fusion, right. That also didn't necessarily, um, exist even a decade or two ago. So I think the confluence of the technical readiness with the market pull, uh, is what has brought us to this point, you know, where you have five billion dollars of private capital going into into fusion. Exactly, and 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 uh, 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 for those listeners who didn't catch that, that was five billion with a B. Uh, um, you know, and you know, a couple of high profile uh, companies I'll just mention for, for people's awareness include Commonwealth Fusion, 
which uh, uh, counts as Bill Gates amongst his, uh, uh, investors. Uh, a company called Helion uh, uh, is, is another one uh, uh, that counts uh, uh, Sam Altman, among others, as, as investors. And a company called TAE uh, uh, in Southern California uh, 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 would be a third one uh, that uh, uh, Goldman Sachs, for example, is an investor in. So it's not just uh, real money. It's real money from very sophisticated you know, uh, investors who are used to uh, 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 taking moonshots, if you will, and to some extent, you could characterize, you know, the successful development and deployment of fusion uh, reactors is still a little bit of a, a moonshot. Um, so uh, there are scientific uh, uh, and technical hurdles that need to be overcome. Uh, that we've talked a little bit about here. Uh, um, uh, let's come back to your other points, though, which was uh, 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 very important, which is there also has to be public acceptance and support in some form or another of, of this. And there also has to be regulatory uh, 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 support. And uh, we had a regulatory hacker uh, 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 on previously uh, uh, on this podcast, Eli, uh, uh, who you know talks about the fact that uh, the regulatory uh, um, uh, 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 mechanisms that have been put in place to approve uh, 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 nuclear development have, have not improved anything. <laughs> uh, 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 they've just become hurdles here. So. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on what uh, may or may not happen to, to change that? And also, uh, um, we could talk a little bit about what, what's your sense of timeline here? When we think we might uh, uh, see some of these things happen? Yeah, so <clears throat> regulation obviously is, is very, very important on, on multiple levels. And, and I think fusion has a golden opportunity to, to really learn from the experiences of, of fission. Uh, and to hopefully be in a better position. Um, and first and foremost, right, we, I think there's a tension here. We, we want a very good regulatory framework, right, to engender public trust in the safety of fusion. Um, but at the same time, we want a framework that's right-sized, right, and that doesn't stifle, uh, you know, innovation, as I, I think I mentioned earlier. Uh, and, and certainly the licensing process uh, you know, needs to be uh, a reasonable and one that is that is streamlined, right? It doesn't choke off, uh, uh, <laughs> doesn't cause companies to go bankrupt. Um, right. So, if, like I said, I think Fusion has a golden opportunity right now um, because we still have time. Uh, we still need time to get, get solve the the science and technology and to get to demonstrations and, and deployment in parallel, we have to get this right. And that does include a public engagement, right? So the NRC is already uh, working uh, on uh, a possible regulatory framework for, fu from, uh, for fusion. In fact, uh, there's legislation already enacted um, suggesting or saying that they need to have something in place by 2027. Uh, I believe they're on, on track to, to do that, uh, if not sooner. But like I said, I think we want to do this in a way that uh, does have public engagement and, and engenders the public trust, right? One thing that's, that some people are making very clear is, yeah, we want to move fast, but you don't want to move fast at the expense of, uh, you know, not bringing people on board. In the end, you'll right. just waste more time. Uh, you know, you can waste decades if you don't have public support. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think there's a couple, you know, key points, you know, that we've hit on, but just to highlight it to, to sort of sum up this conversation, which is one of the advantages, I think, of nuclear fusion is it doesn't have the 
uh, 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 production of nuclear or production of waste materials uh, uh, um, that fission does. That uh, uh, has been, I think, one of the chief public obstacles to the adoption of uh, fission here in the United States. You know, whether it's uh, Three Mile Island or Chernobyl or uh, 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 Japan, there's you know these images of uh, 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 nuclear disasters uh, and. We, I don't think we as a society are great at assessing and managing risk of low likelihood but highly catastrophic events <laughs> occurring. And the nice thing about fusion is it doesn't produce this waste, so it's cleaner, you know, and it's uh, 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 probably perceived to be safer uh, 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 for society. And then the second point I would make it, uh, that uh, I think you brought up uh, is the market pull. Uh, uh, phrase I, I really like that, which is given the energy challenges we're facing as a society, whether it's uh, 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 climate change to just scarcity of, 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 of energy to uh, some of the challenges that we've had uh, uh, deploying and transmitting uh, energy from some of the other alternatives that we've invested in over this last decade, there is more and more of a, 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 a groundswell building of uh, interest in and thought that hey, nuclear maybe could be one of the key uh, elements to solving this uh, 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 challenge that we're in as a society. And so, if you have a perceived safer uh, 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 version of, of the technology that still has a lot of the benefits that's generating the market pool here, uh, um, if we can solve the scientific obstacles and if we can uh, 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 figure out the cost deployment in such a way that it's it's profitable for people to. Uh, 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 deliver this. This could be uh, uh, um, a, a very impactful, very significant uh, uh, development for our society, which I think is why all, all of us are so excited about fusion these days. Did I miss anything there? No, no, you, you, you got it just right, I think. Um, look, that's the reason I got into fusion, right? I mean, it, it is indeed uh, the type of energy uh, that, that we hope we can get. And uh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. So if things did go right, if we solved the scientific problems the way uh, 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 we think we might, if we got uh, public support and regulatory approval, uh, um, what's your sense of the timeline of when we could start seeing fusion reactors actually you know, uh, uh, are delivering energy uh, uh, to society? Because it's not next year. <laughs> I just want to set everyone's expectations. Yeah. So this is always the million dollar question. And, uh, and yeah. that's an appropriate statement because it does come down to money. Uh, yeah. when people ask me, how, you know, how long do you think it'll take? I think maybe the better answer is how much money will it take? Um, and as part of preparing for the White House event that I mentioned earlier back in March, uh, you know, we were basically asked, um, you know, by the White House, you know, what can we, can we accelerate, right? Uh, fusion development. Can we be ready uh, for say pilot scale demonstrations, you know, on a decadal time scale, right? That's what we talked about at the White House event. And, and let me just be clear, it's going to be challenging, right? It's going to take at least, it's going to take many, many billions of dollars to, to do the R&D and to construct even a single pilot scale facility, right? It, which itself may cost several billion dollars. So, I think we have to, and that's why the uh, involvement of the private sector is so exciting because, because with the private sector partnerships, we think we can actually get the amounts of funding that are required. Um, as a purely scientific government program thus far, 
We just simply haven't had access to the amounts of funding needed to do it on an aggressive timescale like that. So what I would say is we have ambitions to have pilot demonstrations in the 30s, um, but a lot of things have to go right for that to happen. Okay. Great. Uh, well, that's, I think that's a very realistic and, and, and grounded answer uh, to that question. So, so I, I appreciate that. Uh, let, let me ask you this, step, stepping back to, to look at the global picture. Uh, we've talked a lot about where we are here in the United States when it comes to fusion. Do you have any observations about where uh, uh, other regions of the world might be? You know, Europe is also, I'm, I'm sure, looking at fusion. You know, uh, uh, do you have a sense, are they ahead or behind us? Uh, um, is China ahead or behind us? I don't know if you have any opinions on that, but I think our listeners would be curious about that. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I- indeed, it's it's a global endeavor. Um, maybe I'll just start by saying that many governments around the world uh, obviously have supported fusion R&D for a very long time, and most notably all the ITER partners, right? ITER is the multinational tokamak being built in France. Uh, the seven main partners are the EU, Japan, South Korea, China, Russia, India, and of course the US. And all of them have significant domestic R&D activities and capabilities. Um, the UK uh, is really, um, I think, putting a, a planting a flag in the ground, if you will. They recently announced a very ambitious goal of an op- operating fusion pilot plant called STEP by 2040. Uh, the UK is also second only to the US in its number of privately funded fusion companies. Um, I'll just say, you know, while fusion has enjoyed great international cooperation for most of its history, you know, after being declassified in the late 1950s, Make no mistake, it is now becoming a true international competition. And, you know, and whether the question of U.S. leadership, you know, what I would say is in terms of the science and innovation and the breadth of fusion approaches being pursued, I think the U.S. is still uh, in a leadership position. But in terms of facility construction and, you know, like really national scale uh, uh, publicly backed efforts. The U.S. has been falling behind uh, for the past several decades. Uh, the largest, for example, the largest fusion experiments being constructed in the U.S. now are private, not public. And that's not true in nearly every other country, pretty much every other country. Good. Well, that's actually a very interesting perspective, so I appreciate that. Uh, we're, we're coming up uh, near the end of our time here. Uh, I always like to ask uh, or conclude with a couple of questions. Uh, any final takeaways that you think our listeners uh, should keep in mind regarding the importance of how this technology will play a key role you know, in, in both our national security and our society going forward? Yeah, well, so, you know, we didn't really have a chance to talk about the possibility of fusion, you know, being a really disruptive technology. You know, I think I think it has a good chance of being a disruptive technology, both in energy and for defense and space applications. And I was thinking I, I, I thought I'd mention that I've been watching the show for all mankind on, on Apple TV. And I, I just finished watching the first episode. Uh, sorry, the first season. Um, and in nearly every episode of that season, I, I thought about two things. You know, first, the dramatic uh, technological changes for humanity that could occur um, if if we had a serious international competition in fusion. You know, like the show portrayed for uh, moon, for the moon. And then, secondly, how fusion itself could have made a lot of things so much easier in that first season. <laughs> <laughs> No, that, 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 that's very true. I, and and I, I come back to the comments I made at the beginning of the, the episode here. You know, I think there are a few topics 
out there that are as important as fusion to talk about, you know, and I think because it is a complicated, you know, physics uh, 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 application that, you know, uh, uh, not everyone is, is confident or comfortable uh, uh, about talking about it, but it really, uh, um, you know, the progress that the community makes in terms of uh, uh, delivering on the promise of fusion over the next decade, you know, or 15 years uh, uh, even, uh, uh, could be one of the most fundamental determinants of how successful our society, our economy, and our ability to defend ourselves uh, 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 from a national security perspective. You know, uh, uh, all three of those things are very uh, uh, dependent, I think, on, 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 on continued successful progress and fusion. So you and your colleagues are working on this. You know, we, we all owe a thank you to uh, 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 here. Uh, so um, where can our listeners, if they get intrigued by what they've just heard, find out more about you and your work? Is there anything you're currently working on now or thinking about the future that you'd like to highlight? Yeah, sure. So I, I do have a lot of fusion-related links and postings at my LinkedIn webpage. So I think that's probably easier to, to easy to find. Um, maybe of interest to this audience. Uh, the main thing I'm working on at the moment is to help launch a major new DOE public-private partnership program to support, uh, you know, what we talked about earlier. Um, you know, bringing the public and private sectors together to work toward timely commercial fusion energy to accelerate that. Uh, we are modeling uh, that program in some ways after the NASA Commercial Orbital Transportation Services program that enabled SpaceX. Oh, that's terrific. I, I look forward to that. I'll, I'll hit you up on LinkedIn after this episode here. So, uh, well, thank you, Scott, uh, uh, for your time here. Really appreciate it. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in today's episode of The Intersection. Uh, please make sure you subscribe to the IQT podcast so you don't miss out on our future content and leave us a review or comment. Uh, uh, to let us know what you think or what content you'd be interested in uh, uh, to see us cover in the future of our podcast. I'd also like to encourage you to check out IQT's website at www.iqt.org to explore more content about cutting-edge technology to support and deliver insights and capabilities essential for national security impact. And again, thank you to, uh, uh, to Scott, our guest, and to you, our listeners, for joining us at the intersection of national security and technology today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Steve. Produced by HeartCast Media.